How's it going, everybody? You are listening to the Eastminster Young Adults Podcast, a place where you can learn more about what it means to be a young adult Christian in times like these. You know, studies show that two of every three young adults have a challenging time finding Christian community. Eastminster Presbyterian Church seeks to create a community where you can be known, loved, and challenged without the fear of facing judgment. In doing so, we believe that the world will be a better place. So thanks for listening to the podcast. All right, so here we are, young adults. We're just going to go through the New Testament section by section, and we're going to start at the beginning, the book of Matthew. Matthew is a gospel, and we think that it's written primarily to Jewish Christians or perhaps to Jewish people in general who are maybe it's they think it's time to reconsider what they've missed when they didn't receive Jesus the first time. Um, we do think that some things have gone down in... Uh, Judea and Galilee area by the time this gospel is written. And because of that, because of this, the trauma within their culture, Matthew, the gospel writer, is trying to appeal to his friends, his Jewish friends, to receive Jesus as the chosen one of Israel. And so we'll go through more about the unique shape to Matthew's gospel along the way here. But at the front, I think it's important to just know that a gospel was a unique genre in this time and place. Uh, it was a Roman piece of literature. They would send gospels or good news letters um, whenever there was maybe a threat or a rumor that the republic was being threatened. They would send runners with letters, these gospels, these good news tales, and they would go to this. If you imagine with me, go like to the center of the city, and they would gather an audience, uh, like a rally of some sort, and they would share a gospel, a good news about particularly the Roman emperor, either a new emperor that's been installed or emperor's birthday or an emperor's uh, victory in a battle in order to create a fidelity towards the emperor. And so this was a unique genre for that purpose alone. So it is quite scandalous that a group, a really small, insignificant group of people called Christians would use this in order to talk about Jesus who uh, is really an insignificant person in the scope of the Roman world. Uh, so this, I, I just always think about this. These gospels are so scandalous. I mean, they had to be carried around and carefully uh, distributed to other people because this is treasonous literature uh, in the time of the first century. And so the first section, according to the Bible that I'm using, is Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17. And it is a bunch of genealogies. And so if you want to spare me reading all the genealogy, I can get right down to the heart of it. Matthew's genealogy is is really important. He does place it at the very beginning. And one scholar called a genealogy not a boring piece of the text, like maybe you and I would consider it when we read genealogies, but he called it like a big drum roll that led up to the initial statements of a book. And who you came from and who you're part of was an important piece of this culture. Um, unlike our culture, there's a chance that you and I would know our friends' parents' names, grandparents' names, and great-grandparents' names. Like We would know through several generations back where they came from. We don't know that today. You guys don't know my parents' names. I don't know your parents' names, uh, probably. Uh, and so this is different now. And what we see is that there's a a bit of a mixed bag with Jesus's upbringing or Jesus's genealogy. 
First, Matthew makes this interesting observation that if we go the, uh, the generations from Abraham to David, from David to exile and exile to Jesus, it's three sets of 14. One scholar mentioned that it maybe it wasn't supposed to be at three sets of 14, but maybe um, six sets of seven, which is an interesting thing. So I am not big in the symbolism of numbers or like the Bible code, things of that nature. I mean, I've even heard of like, Oh, preachers getting PhDs on the significance of how numbers are used. And there might be some merit to it. I don't know if there is. I do think that numbers were used as memory devices for an illiterate culture like Jesus and his contemporaries lived in. And so let me make a couple of statements about uh, six sets of seven or three sets of 14. Uh, six and seven were uh, significant numbers. We see this in other places in the Bible. Seven's a number of like perfection or, or eternity or eternal uh, deity, perhaps. And then the number six is the number for humanity, right? We see that in the book of Revelation. So it's interesting that number seven, number six are intertwined together. And that is an interesting confession about Jesus. Jesus is fully human and he's fully God. And he referred himself as the son of man uh, throughout the the gospel uh, preaching experience of Jesus. And so it's interesting here that if we do six sets of seven, there's this interesting little code that Matthew's using. He is the human one and the divine one at the same time. Now, what's significant about the number 14? I heard from a couple scholars that if you take the Hebrew alphabet and give a number and number the Hebrew alphabet, uh, all the and it's just consonants uh, because there's different markings for the vowels, and if you give those uh, each letter a number, and if you take the consonants, the three of them, that make up the word David in Hebrew, and you add the number that correlates with those letters, and you add that up, it's the number 14. So perhaps this is a way for Matthew to hang the significance of Jesus coming from the house of David in a peculiar way that's easy to remember uh, to his audience. So what is he saying here? He is saying that uh, Jesus is a human one, and he's a divine one, that he comes from the house of David. But you also notice that if we look through the genealogy of Jesus, that it's a mixed bag. There are heroes and there are village idiots in Jesus' background. And so here we have this interesting picture as well that Jesus, even though he's the holy one, he doesn't um, stay above all the issues and problems in the stink of the world, but he is in the midst of it. And what a confession about what the gospel is, which is God moving into the mess of the world that he loves in order to save it from and redeem it from the middle of all of its mess. And so we've got all of this going on here uh, wrapped up in this genealogy, something that you and I would easily skip over in order to get to the, quote, better stuff of the Gospel of Matthew. But there's something here that we need to embrace. So how should we live this out today? Um, I think... I think we look at it this way. Church history, you can divide it into uh, the first half of church history, Christians and uh, those who are critical of Christianity struggled with uh, the humanity of Jesus. They wanted him to be God. And so there's all these variant heresies out there, in the early parts of the church that would try to say that Jesus wasn't human because in the Greco-Roman operating software, anything that's of the flesh or of matter is suspect, held in contempt or evil, and everything of spirit is good. But Christians had this scandalous claim that no, God is 
human and divine at the same time in the person of Jesus. And so the second half of church history, we struggle with the divinity of Jesus, but we embrace the humanity of Jesus. And so here is one of the the challenging claims of being a Christian is to say our God is fully human and fully divine and to embrace that. And we see that even in the genealogy of Jesus. But also, Jesus is pretty common. He comes from common folk, uh, from some backwoodsy type places with some checkered histories. And he wasn't ashamed to do so. And I think sometimes as Christians, we tend to try to sanitize our lives uh, away from those who might be problematic or tedious or who don't agree with us. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus came all the way down and he associated with even the low lives of his culture. And so the church should do it as well. I remember Craig Gross, who he planted a church called Triple X Church, tried to help people uh, who had a porn addiction. And he said this in a book of his. He said, if you want revival, if you want true, authentic move of the Holy Spirit of God, you need to plant your church in the gutter because that's where the greatest needs are. And that's where the greatest redemption happens. And so I think this challenges us to move towards the mess of the world in order to see what God is up to, because that's the very portal from which God enters into the world around us. And so that, my friends, is how the gospel of Matthew started. This is the great drum roll. Jesus came from a checkered background, but he came to seek and to save and to bring to a head this rather complicated and long, windy road of Israel's history in order to see the whole world redeemed. And that's good news. And I pray that you and I would trust that good news today. So thanks for hearing me out. Next time around, we'll take the next section, which will begin in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Hope that you check it out. Thanks. All right, friends, with each episode, we're talking about a Christian habit that we can employ in our lives that will... Not only uh, just inform our own faith, but it'll help impact the world around us. And we get these five habits from a book by Michael Frost called Surprise the World. The five habits of highly missional people. And it makes the acronym BELLS, B-E-L-L-S. Even though that, when I said BELLS, it sounded like a Z. It's not Z, it's S. Sorry about that. Hopefully that wasn't too misleading. But we're just going to go through them one every episode because I think we need to talk about these again and again. We grow in our faith when we mimic uh, the way of the faithful, and this has been the way of the faithful for some time. And uh, Michael Frost is writing from a post-Christian environment, meaning that his country, Australia, is no longer like a Christian-dominant culture. They've gone from like Christian-dominant to Christian as one of many faiths or irreligious uh, preference out there. And so as a church, they've, uh, his church has decided to, they got to live differently because they're in a different world and we are there. Um, we may or may not think so, but, uh, Christianity in America continues to be uh, going through quite a transformation where we're sharing the space with many other faiths. And so how do we as Christians live uniquely Christian, uh, knowing that, uh, our world is different, our zip code is different. And so we have to be missional going back on mission again, and so the first of these habits is blessed. It's to bless three people each week, one of which is not a member of our church. And so what does it mean to bless? I mean, the original meaning of bless is simply to set something apart or to hollow something. Uh, we pray a blessing over our food because we want to thank God for it and we want to eat it with reverence that God provides it, right? Um, we bless a marriage uh, during a marriage ceremony because we want to have God 
um, hollow this relationship uh, now that these two have committed to one another, right? And so it is to bless something. And there's this interesting little practice in the early church, and we find this from the Didache, where there's this simple way of knowing that all of our possessions don't just belong to us, but we should bless others with them. There's this inference that whenever a Christian would get something, let's say they went and got a gallon of oil from the market, they would find a way to take that gallon and to take take like a tenth of it and to give it away. So imagine going to the store and getting a bag of Doritos or something like that, or even better, like one of those packs of chips, like smaller chips. And when you open it, you just realize, okay, not all of this is for me, but I need to bless a portion of it for somebody else because it's not just mine, but I want to bless somebody else's life with it. And so we would take that aside, like go to our neighbor, knock on the door and say, hey, I just want to give you a bag of chips because I got some and I want to give some away. I want to bless you with it, right? And so that's what it means to bless. So whenever we do something for somebody else with our time, with our resources, with a meal, uh, with an errand that we run for them or watching their kids, uh, we we don't just see it as – you know, something that they're in need. So I want to help alleviate their need. That's great. But it's also a blessing because we're like taking away from what we could otherwise do with our time or with our money and we direct it elsewhere. And it's as we do so, as we give it away, it's blessed, which is a a revolutionary concept because I think we look at giving stuff away sometimes as, you know, kind of a detriment. Like I have to give away money in order to pay for something or to reserve a spot or something like that. And like we feel like it's a detriment, like, ah, oh, I had to spend money there. Blessing is different. Whenever we let go of something of our own, we see it as an investment towards the other. And so as you and I try to bless three people this week, think of it as a fresh opportunity to add to somebody else as it's subtracted from us. And as we do so, we're going to learn the way of Jesus who laid down his life for the sake of his friends. And so as we bless, we actually embody the way of Jesus. So may you and I go do likewise and bless three people, including one person not from our church around us, and therefore surprise the world. Thanks for hearing me out. Hey, before we go, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating so that more people can be drawn to the podcast. We also have a Eastminster Young Adults Facebook page. If you'd like to be a part of that, please look for it and send a request so we can add you to the closed group so you can stay up to date on all the things that are going on in young adult life. Thanks. We'll see you next time.